and Tuesdays. Right around this time, we welcome in Al Batts. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning, Dwayne. Good morning, everyone. What a beautiful day. Holy cow. It's just uh, it's amazing how nice it is. Uh, I, You know, we've got it coming. We had to put up with a lot of wind and cold. And I just read something from the Wasika, uh oh, the Experiment and Outreach Center there, the U of M, saying how much uh, colder April had been than average. It was like six uh, six point something degrees colder than average, colder than last year, colder than the year before. So if we're walking along like me and say, boy, this just seems colder than normal, it had been. So ho- hopefully May will make up for it. Uh, you know, May may be nice and maybe not nice. It's May. <laughs> well, we've got a couple want... of warm days on the way, that's for sure, the next couple of days oh. here. I'm uh, headed to a place where, yeah, 90 degrees they're talking about. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's what we'll it, have here. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's always hard. Those first days it gets really warm because we're just not used to it. I, I don't think we're not acclimated to hot weather, and maybe we, maybe we don't dress properly you know when it's cold weather then we like to wear t-shirts and shorts and flip-flops but when it gets warm then we like to wear a a nice sweater and uh maybe um (laughs) sweatpants or something (laughs) i uh i want to thank everybody from brick meager funeral home in oatana uh, for allowing me to speak at their 125th anniversary i want to thank ms lona and tim scott for walking my wife and i around indian lake and we visited betsy tacy and maud hart loveless houses and that was great fun uh, trumpeter swans are nesting. Uh, Canada goose goslings have been waddling around since May began. I still have many white crown sparrows. Uh, they're sporting bike helmets in my yard, seeing some Lincolns. Uh, field sparrows are numerous. Uh, yellow-headed blackbirds were here and there. I saw the mustard heads in a number of locations, which brought me joy because they were hard to find in those same places last year. And they put some spring into spring. And I paused in adding to my stick collection because I'm out picking up sticks in the yard. There's just a never-ending supply of them to watch a little Ricky flit about in the short trees. And I call a tiny ruby crown kinglet little Ricky based on the official four-letter code used by bird banders and birders. It's R-C-K-I. And the kinglet has a big voice, and the frosting on the cake was a pair of noisy red-headed woodpeckers. Uh, spring, boy, think of your favorite songs. I, You know, I used to say... You think about your favorite song, but if you're like me, you have favorite songs. There's not just one. It depends on the day, what's going on in your life. But think of one of your favorite songs. You know how it starts and how it progresses, and that's how nature moves in spring. There's an order. We're seeing dabbling ducks now in vernal ponds. We see midges. They resemble mosquitoes without the bite and they're providing food for swallows. A late spring compresses plant activity. You can see uh, well, also uh, farmer activity, I guess. Last year, I know one of the neighbors planted corn here on April 9th, and they're just uh, getting going kind of now. 
Uh, the crows in the yard, are, they're acting crowish, because that's what they do. And I read something a while back, and I wish I could say where I read it, probably everywhere. Uh, crows in a city in Sweden are being trained to collect cigarette butts from the streets and drop them into a machine that rewards them with food. It's a project called Corvid Cleaning by the Keep Sweden Tidy Foundation, and it aims to lower the cost of street cleaning in a city. Uh, I found bits of balloon tangled in a vegetation here near water, and there's no such thing as a good free-range balloon. It becomes toxic trash, so I'm going to try to teach microbes to pick up balloons. We'll see how that goes. Uh, Gunner Berg of Albert Lee see it, still seeing pine siskins. He's got a yellow rump warblers, a black and white warbler, orioles, brown creeper, white-throated sparrows, wood ducks every morning in both boxes. His neighbor John Chesterman had a great egret, pretty good yard bird, he said. We lost a little bird right off the deck to a Cooper's. Uh, it was a little goldfinch, I think. Uh, Tim Scott said there are about 20 pelicans on Indian Lake. I counted about 30 white-throated sparrows, some fox sparrows, white-crowned sparrows, chipping sparrow, field sparrows, and four female grosbeaks. Still have juncos. This was uh, earlier this month. About 25 to 30 squirrels of all sorts, uh, seeing large numbers of turkey vultures and have red-breasted nuthatches. Uh, Carol Bertelson of Albert Lee, Rosebreast of Grosbeak, Ruth Olson of Glenville, Ruth, she saw a, I'm going to make it a Ruth-breasted Grosbeak, but it's a Rosebreasted Grosbeak. Uh, Bev Cotter of Albert Lee, wood duck box with 26 eggs in it. Sounds like a dump box where more than one hen are definitely laying eggs in there. Rick Mammel said he's got at least 14 Purple Martins in the Elberly Audubon Society Purple Martin housing unit. Cindy Drill of North Mankato said on Mother's Day I saw my first hummingbird. Uh, it was a male. I walked from the back of the house where I had viewed it through the back window, and the front feeders were rose-breasted grosbeaks, a uh, number of orioles. Oh, let's see. An indigo bunting is the only bird missing from her list. For some reason, I have observed them on Mother's Day as a passing visitor more often than any other date. Uh, Carol Bertelson of Albert Lee, a junco on May 3rd. Donna Swenson of Wasika Goslings on May 3rd. Mark Sorensen lives on Geneva Lakes at Yellow-Headed Blackbirds. Darcy Syme of Alden showed me photos of a red-headed woodpecker and a blue-gray gnat catcher. Paul Schwab of Owatonna had a Cape May warbler coming to his yard for, it's been a couple weeks now, Paul said. He also saw a junco in May. Paul said, I never saw a junco in May. I hear you talking about uh, the last juncos you see are always in May, but he said, this year I saw one. Uh, Gunnar Berg added something. He's from Albert Lee. He said he saw a Nashville warbler in red starts. For whatever reason, we get very few window strikes, usually one or two during migration. This morning, we had a black and white warbler hit sat for a while and flew to a tree, climbing, feeding as normal, later flew into the window again. He is still alive, but, geez, not good. Two hits. Uh, Rosebreasted grosbeak, hummingbird. We hung out two flat-style nectar feeders. Generally, I don't uh, think birds need human feeders, but a hummingbird in Minnesota now may need a little help. A wing up. 
Uh, Wren arrived two days ago. I assume they are returning to their home, so I cleaned and repaired three Wren houses. I provide housing. They provide joy and song when I often need it. A fair trade. We have a routine. I provide three boxes. A male builds three bad nests. The female rejects all of them and builds her own nest in one. I clean out his junk nest out of the other two. Then sometimes they build a late nest again in another box. However it works, they end up with three boxes full of sticks. When they nest, they ignore me. I can stand directly in front of the box, and they will be hauling food in like I do not exist. I am just part of the garden. But if someone else shows up, they go ballistic. So by observation, wrens recognize different individuals. Uh, Robert Jessen, who lives in the uh, southwest part of Rochester, said lots of rose-breasted grosbeaks, Baltimore Orioles, red-headed woodpecker, pine warbler, indigo buntings, harrises, white-crowned and white-throated sparrows, had all of them in one binocular view. We had uh, three Harris's sparrow. The catbird is back, also a yellow-bellied sapsucker, and it is gr getting green. Oh, man, Robert, is it ever getting green. Uh, Kent Spellman of Albert Lee said it was only fitting for my late mother, Nadine Spellman, on Mother's Day. Yesterday we had a plethora of color in the backyard feeder. There were indigo buntings, cardinals, and red-breasted grosbeaks, and that's cool. I, I knew Nadine Spellman. She was a wonderful lady. Hart Bartness of Heartland has an orchard oriole and a Baltimore oriole in his yard. Denny Galligan of Albert Lee said he has a black-capped chickadee uh, building a nest in a nest box. So that, oh, they are the cutest little birds. Micah said, I must say it's been a wonderful three days, starting with a red-headed woodpecker in South Bend Township Saturday, a pillated woodpecker, bluebirds, and an owl on Sunday at Rasmussen Woods, and this morning, which would be yesterday, I was treated to five orioles and counting and hummingbirds in my yard. So that is really cool that you're all seeing these things. It's uh, It just uh, buoys our spirit to see these beautiful, beautiful birds that are born on, born on a spring wind. What do, a listener asked, what do brown thrashers eat? Uh, brown thrashers eat mostly insects uh, and other anthropods along with some fruit, seeds, and nuts. They typically feed on the ground, uh, sweeping their bills through the leaf litter uh, and soil with these quick sideway motions. I was watching one in the yard early this morning, and his bill was going side to side, and the leaves were just flying. And there was a rooster pheasant crowing up a storm. Just uh, he would crow, and then he'd make these little doot, 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 doot sounds. If anybody's had uh, chickens, they've had the roosters. They'll find something to eat, and they kind of make that sound in the hope of uh, attracting a female to it. And this guy was doing it, but the rooster had to kind of dodge out of the way every so often because this brown thrasher was just chucking leaves everywhere. Uh, Ken Nelson, just heard from Ken, he wondered when Baltimore Orioles leave Minnesota after nesting and how many broods they have. Oh, Ken, they just got here. No, I understand why you want to know how long they're going to be with us. They have one brood, and in July, most young Orioles are leaving the nest and becoming independent already. 
it's just they're here way too short. Uh, the parents start molting their body in flight feathers in anticipation of their migration south. By September, it's rare to see any Orioles hanging around. Their durable sock-like nests continue to hang thanks to tightly woven construction, strong knots, and superior building materials. A listener asked, do robins find worms by sight or sound? Uh, you know, all my life I have been told that they look like they're listening, but they're looking. Uh, but there was research you know, they hop around our yards. They have their heads cocked, searching for worms. There was research published in, I want to say, the Journal of Animal Behavior that concluded birds, robins, could use either visual or auditory cues to find worms, but probably use both. And as humans, we're saying, how much sound could an earthworm make? But if, if you're robbing down there and that's your food and you're listening that hard and that's what you're concentrating on and you're close to the ground, I'm guessing they probably make enough for a robin to hear it. Uh, this is a uh, question from Lance saying, why do squirrels insist on stopping in a street and then running in front of my car? Oh, we've all been there, haven't we? Driving down the street, it's a beautiful day, and we're just driving along. Here comes a squirrel. He comes from one side, and we say, well, he's going to run across the road. Oh, no, he runs part of the way, and then he stops. And you've got this big truck right behind you, so what are you going to do? You keep going, and he stops, and then he takes off. And uh, if we're lucky, we don't nip him. And it just, uh, you know, poor little thing, we're saying he's just trying to get on with his life, making a living out there, finding buried walnuts or acorns or something. So why do squirrels run into the path of an oncoming, oncoming car? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much no better than doing that. So you'd think a squirrel would. Are they panicking or are they just goofy? Well, think about it. Squirrels spend their lives trying not to be killed. That's what they, you know, every day they get up and say, today is the day I'm not going to be killed. And then they do this, run in front of an oncoming car. Instinct drives this behavior while we're driving a car. Uh, squirrels run in a serpentine or a zigzag pattern to throw hunting hawks off their swooping game. And this method helps squirrels dodge raptors and other predators. And I must add, though, that this is a commonly held theory which squirrels have refused to confirm or deny. So until we hear from the squirrel crowd, I guess we can only say this is probably the reason. Uh, a listener said, I watched a kingfisher catch a big fish for the size of the bird. It whacked its catch on a branch, and it perched there for a long time with the fish hanging from its bill. What was it doing? The, the kingfisher, it's around, um, here I'm holding my hands apart, a, a foot long, give or take, and it it leaves a comparative large fish that it's captured hanging out of its beak. So part of the fish would be in the bill and part of it is down in the bird's throat. 
And they, they do this because rapid digestion allows the fish to inch its way down the kingfisher's gullet. So it's digesting. That's why you just can't get it all in there. Uh, we all probably have that brother-in-law that kind of eats that way, too. We just uh, Kingfishers also regurgitate pellets made of indigestible parts, just as an owl does. So they're really great birds. They're halcyons. What do hummingbirds feed on when they return in cold, late spring? Uh, <clears throat> I'd say two main things, sap and insects, which just sounds delightful and we don't see on many of our menus, at least we don't think we do. Yellow-bellied sapsuckers, which winter in the southeastern U.S. and Central America, migrate north in early spring when the sap is running. And I know you're saying, I asked what hummingbirds feed on, not yellow-bellied sapsuckers. Well, yellow-bellied sapsuckers use their strong bill to notch rows of sap wells in trees. Then they come in and they drink the sap and they feed on the insects attracted to it. So hummingbirds rely on the bounty of sap provided by sap suckers, and they too visit those wells to drink the sweet liquid and feed on the insects attracted to it. For the hummingbirds, this is an important food source that helps them survive until the flowers bloom. And they have, uh, they'll follow sap suckers around. They're stalkers saying, where's that sap sucker going? Because there will be food. So they, uh, it's, it's a wonderful relationship. I don't know what the yellow-bellied sap sucker gets out of it other than the feeling that somebody is just idolizing it, perhaps. But I see them, uh, yellow-bellied sap sucker, I'm seeing quite a few of them around now. A few hummingbirds. Honeybees, I think about them. We have lots of dandelions now, or at least I do. That gives the honeybees something to uh, to use. So dandelions do some good things. It's nice to see them in the spring. I'm seeing a lot of uh, large flowering bellwort, trout lily, uh, bloodroot, anemone, Seeing a lot of beautiful flowers out there now growing in the woods. So if you take a walk, I was at Minneopa and walked around there, the falls area, and there's so many beautiful wildflowers growing there now. It's just a lovely time of year. Dutchman's Breaches is another one that's uh, evident now. So it's a great time to get out and look at flowers and look at birds. And I went out and watched the... Um, Buffalo with the four calves out there, and the calves are, I don't know if that's orangish-red or reddish-orange or cinnamon color or reddish-brown. They uh, stand out from the adults as far as color goes. Of course, size, they're much smaller. There were four of them. I haven't checked recently, but I know Scott from the park said they might have up to 15 babies this year, 15 calves. And I'm watching those, and there were field sparrows singing from every single direction. They were just everywhere. And they sound like somebody took a ping-pong ball and dropped it, their song Dopplers Away, and it's their lovely little birds. Uh, palm warblers were another one that was so common at Minneopa. It was great to see. Minneopa is just a wonderful, wonderful place, and it was good to see so many people out there hiking around the falls and 
the falls is robust would be the best way to describe it it is uh is really coming down and it's wonderful to see how many broods do tree swallows have uh, tr here tree swallows raise one brood one brood per year how did the muskrat get its name Oh, gosh, this is going to be tough words probably here. Muskrats aren't even in the rat family, so it's unfair that they got the name muskrat. They're more closely related to voles and lemmings, voles with a V. And the name is believed to come from the Algonquin language. And uh, Musaskas, Musquash, Mosquas, and there's a whole bunch of other ones like that, which referred to kind of its reddish fur color. And it's thought because of the musky smell it produces to mark territory. And its naked tail, the name was altered to Muskrat. It's possible English speech speakers just took the the Native American word and morphed it into muskrat, which reminds me, I was out at the the park there and we'd been looking at buffalo and uh, a young couple asked if they're, when I was by the falls, I said, do they have names? I said, like Ralph and, and Sylvia or something? No, do they call them names? I said, well, they're calves. And they said, yeah, they didn't seem happy with the name calves. I said, they said, what else do they call the young ones? And I said, well, I've heard them called pumpkins and red dogs. And I don't think either one of those any kind of official name, but I have heard uh, bison calves called pumpkins or red dogs. And I think they're both uh, pretty much describe them wonderfully well. Uh, a listener said, I, I spent the winter in Texas. Oh, man, it's tough duty, you know, missing out on Minnesota winter. I don't know why anybody would want to miss out on the lovely winters we have here because that's where stories come from. How did feral hogs come to be in Texas? Yeah, they have a great problem with uh, feral hogs down there, wild hogs. You know, pigs are intelligent, they're adaptable, and fertile. Uh, wild hog populations have been nurtured on ranches that sold hunting leases. Uh, but captured hogs were released in other parts of Texas. And improved animal husbandry reduced disease among domestic pigs, thereby it lessened the incident among wild hogs. And while and I, I was in that state not too long ago, and I was told there's over 4 million feral hogs were messing with Texas. They compete with native wildlife. They destroy ecosystems by foraging and destabilizing soil and wetlands. They damage landscaping, fencing, irrigation, irrigation systems, uh, golf courses, and parks. Plus, wild pig vehicle collisions result in significant property damage, human injury, and, and death. So there, uh, a friend of mine went down there. He went uh, hog hunting. So he um, he had good luck, I guess. So you can just hunt as many as you want down there, apparently. And he saw a lot of them, and he did eat them. He said, um, well, you know, they weren't bad, but they weren't quite as good as maybe the uh, what we eat around here. But he said he's going to do it again because he just he had a really good time down there. And, boy, they are everywhere. 
I've seen them here and there. Uh, there's a lot in Texas. There's a lot of everything in Texas, as any Texan will tell you. There's just everything you need, pretty much, in Texas. And then there's a lot of things you don't need, too, like these feral pigs. They're, they're everywhere. Um, thanks, everybody, for sitting on the front porch with Dwayne and I today. We appreciate your company. As I mentioned, I spoke at Brick Mager Funeral Homes, 125th anniversary in Owatonna. And I was thinking, I have put on many miles walking about in funeral homes while paying respects to those important to me. Giffy Olson, his real name was Guilford, but Giffy. Giffy Olson was a funeral director, furniture store operator, postmaster, and city clerk in Heartland when I was a small boy. He probably had other jobs, too. Back in those days, most of the funeral homes also sold furniture stores, or furniture. So when you were done looking at the dearly deceased, you could go over and check out a new sofa, I guess, if you wanted to. I have recollections of accompanying my parents when I was a small boy to visitations there. Uh, Most of the dearly departed seem older than the hills. They weren't, but I think a lot of them were like 143 years old. I I really didn't know them. They were really old, but uh, I knew I had to be respectful and walk through that line and maybe say something nice about them, even if I didn't. My dad always said, uh, boy, he looks like he could sit up and ask what the price of corn is. And my mom would say, oh, they did such a good job with him. I learned about those people and their lives as I traveled to and past a casket. I, I found that life is a series of tossing rocks into a lake and learning from the resulting ripples. Folks, this is a glorious day, perhaps the most glorious day we've ever had here on Earth. Uh, get out there and look for ripples. Remember, Heartless, while we're driving past, thanks for listening to me. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Karen, feel better. Dwayne, thanks for your company. And thank you as well. Bye-bye. Bye. That is Al Bats, Birding with Bat today, another uh, wonderful addition, and great to hear about uh, the different uh, reports from around southern Minnesota, and uh, it sounds like Al spent uh, a nice amount of time in our neck of the woods, so that was uh, that was great to hear. Thank you for sharing, Al. You definitely are a treasure, and we are lucky to have you here on KMSU.